What if I told you that in 2024, you were going to travel more? I bet you would be excited because who doesn't have travel more on their 2024 vision board? But my loves, it's time to craft a bit of an action plan and take your first steps. And this is where I come in. I'm hosting a trip to Bali, May 23rd to May 29th, 2024 for the Manifest Daily community. I'm so excited about this one. We have a jam-packed itinerary. We have a Balinese cooking class, a sacred monkey forest, visit a coffee brewing workshop, literally the works because that's just a taste of the itinerary. And this trip is a celebration of new beginnings and also a couple of birthdays. So if you're curious about Bali and you want to meet me there alongside a couple other wonderful, amazing, beautiful souls, head to my website for more information, themanifestly.com slash events. Visit the link in the show notes. And yeah, let's let's hang out in Bali. The legends are true. Overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes. The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of McDonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Hi, my loves. Welcome back to the podcast. My name is Dionj Nikolaj. If you're new here, my love, welcome. I'm super excited to have you tuned in to your first ever episode of Manifest Daily. And of course, to my OG listeners, you already know the vibes. Okay, hey girl, hey. Hey boy, hey, what's poppin', what's good? Welcome to another episode of your fave. Y'all, I am so, so, so excited about today's episode. I feel like I always, you know what? No, 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 no. <laughs> we are not doing this today. I'm over myself. That has literally become part of the intro now. Me saying how excited I am. Me saying I always say that. Yes, I always say it. I always say it. And yes, I'm always excited, okay? It genuinely is excitement every single time. But today, I am so ready to have this episode because I've been talking about this particular episode for about a week now with you guys over on Instagram. I asked a while back, no, not a while back, like a week ago, week or, or maybe it was two weeks ago, what you guys wanted to hear on the show. If you are over on Instagram, if you are participating in the social media section of the matrix, then you would have seen this. I asked if you wanted to hear this particular episode and guest episode, an episode about breakups and kind of like a breakup diaries, navigating breakups. And I think I had another option on there. And this won the vote by about a 10% margin. So we are here to talk about this book. I must say I was dedicated to the cause, not dedicated enough to have the episode up last Tuesday, but dedicated enough to have stayed up last night into the wee hours of the morning, finishing the book and finishing out my notes so that we could talk about it. This book is such a game changer. I love any self-help philosophy-esque style book. This one was so amazing. I am already planning to reread it so that I can really soak in 
the nuggets of wisdom that this book had in there and really, really take the time to integrate this into my next steps in terms of how I show up in this world. I had a therapy session today and a couple of things came up in therapy related to interpersonal relationships or relationships rather in my life and not just romantic, but we were talking about friendships, family relationships, and also dating as well. And I literally referenced this book about seven times in my session. And I remember my therapist being like, oh my God, this book sounds so good. I'm going to have to read it. And she kind of was relating it back to some of the themes that have come up for me in other sessions. So I think this particular book is amazing, whether you are in therapy or not, whether you are on this healing journey, committed to this healing journey, or kind of tapped out of it. And you're like, I just don't want to even heal right now. I don't know, maybe whatever, you know, situation you're in, this book is amazing. And I am just super excited to dive in. So this is going to be structured in a way where we're going to kind of go through the book, right? This I'm titling this episode TLDR. I'm thinking about making this a series, but we'll see because I feel like sometimes I get such ideas for series and depending on how I feel, I don't know, sometimes I don't want to keep doing it. Sometimes I do. So we'll see how this goes, but this is kind of like a TLDR vibe. So we're going to go through the book and I'm going to read you guys some quotes. We're going to talk about some of the ideas. I'm going to relate it back to a couple of life situations and we are just going to take this journey. If you have read this book before, I think you'll find this super enlightening. If you have not read this book before, it's not necessarily a spoiler, but like I said, we are going to be looking at some direct quotes from the book. So if you're someone that does not enjoy that in particular, maybe skip this episode and uh, yeah, grab your grab 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 am I well grab yourself a beverage of choice I just downed a bit of water because I'm on my hydration era I'm on oh my god I was gonna say on my hydration journey and then I also want to say in my hydration era and then it just turned into that but I'm in a space where I'm really being intentional about hydration these days so grab yourself a beverage of choice whether it is some water whether it is a French 75, which has been my drink of choice lately, ladies and gents, at the bar, ask for a French 75 with Hendrix gin. It's gin, it's lemon juice, I believe, it's champagne, I want to say, and uh, what's the other thing? Simple syrup or like sugar? So good. It's so good. I... Oh my God. And then the other day I went to drinks with a friend and the bartender like made me this concoction where he did gin, lemon and blueberry syrup. And it was phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. Whether you're grabbing yourself that a non-alcoholic beverage or perhaps a simple cup of tea, do what you need to. And let's go ahead and dive into today's TLDR episode on the courage to be disliked. So this book is called The Courage to be Disliked, the Japanese phenomenon that shows you how to change your life and achieve real happiness. So before we dive into some of the juicier bits of the book, there was a quote in the intro that I highlighted. And I want to also say that this book is structured in a way where it's a conversation. It's a conversation between a philosopher and what is called or someone who is called youth, which is just like young man. 
If you've ever read the book, Conversations with God, I know I have a couple of episodes where I am raving about that book, so you probably have heard of it. It's a similar setup where there is a person who is having a literal conversation with God and it's structured in a way where the person is asking questions and God is responding. This book is structured where this youth is kind of on this journey. He is trying to learn some things about life. He's trying to kind of find out what is the meaning of happiness, how we can be happy, what true freedom is, all of that, which we get into in the book. And the philosopher is here conducting this conversation with him, prompting him, guiding him. And before we even get into, you know, any of the nuggets of wisdom that the philosopher has to share in the introduction, he says, none of us live in an objective world, but instead in a subjective world that we ourselves have given meaning to. The world you see is different from the one I see, and it's impossible to share a world with anyone else. I highlighted that because I find that to be such a simple yet profound idea. When we think of reality, we all can agree on certain collective truths as a society, yet individually, we all see the world differently. Our experiences are very much shaped by our past, very much shaped by our beliefs, very much shaped by, you know, what it is that we want in life, our interpersonal relationships with other people. We get into a bit of past in a second here because there are some interesting points that talk about the past and how it doesn't necessarily shape your future. I feel like I'm getting ahead of myself, but I just had to highlight that piece because we talk about that a lot on this show about how we are all living in a very subjective reality, right? There is the idea of an objective and collective understanding of how things should be and how the world should be and how we should go about things. But at the end of the day, when we reject our subjectivity and when we don't acknowledge that we do all have a very unique experience of life that puts us in a position where we are more subjectable to being sad or being upset or feeling like life is unfair because we feel like things should be a certain way based on these collective truths that we have all in some ways opted into or decided to agree on. Later in the book, the philosopher goes on to describe the difference between etiology and teleology. Etiology is the study of causation, whereas teleology is the study of that particular thing, a particular experience or phenomenon versus studying the cause of that phenomenon. He then links this to the study of Adlerian psychology. So on page 13, the philosopher says, in Adlerian psychology, trauma is definitely denied. This was a very new and revolutionary point. When you treat a person's life as a vast narrative, there is an easily understandable causality and sense of dramatic development that creates strong impressions and is extremely attractive. But Adler, in denial of the trauma argument, states the following, no experience experience is in itself a cause of our success or failure. We do not suffer from the shock of our experiences, the so-called trauma, but instead we make of them whatever suits our purposes. We are not determined by our experiences, but the meaning we give them is self-determining. This is still going to be quite a controversial point, right? Because we are literally talking about the denial of trauma, which I think is so wild, especially when in this day and age, we have a lot of people who are talking about healing and healing trauma and trauma therapy and inner child healing and all of these things, which are so focused on revisiting our past, revisiting our childhood, revisiting the things that hurt us and maybe in some ways affect the way that we are today, the person that we are today. But this is basically saying that that particular incident, whatever happened in your past is 
in itself just kind of like a split off moment. It's not causation for who you are today or causation for the life that you live today. I have mentioned something like this in a particular episode where I talked about how we all dealt different set of cards, right? And if you are dealt a particularly shitty set of cards, that doesn't necessarily mean that you can't have a good life. Like your set of cards that you were dealt at life are something that are out of your control. Like that set of cards was not in your control when you were born. You didn't choose your parents. I mean, if you, you know, if we're talking on a human level, right, you didn't choose your parents, you didn't choose the particular experience that you were born into, but you do get to choose what you do with your cards. You do get to self-determine and self-select how it is that you respond. I don't know if I want to completely deny the existence of trauma, right? Because I myself am going through therapy and working through some things that were in some ways traumatic events. But I think what this is really trying to get at is that instead of allowing our trauma to define our future experiences, Aldarian psychology helps us to understand that we should not assume a determinative set of events in our future because of our trauma, right? Our trauma does not make or break us. Our trauma does not say, okay, well, you went through this traumatic event, so you are going to forever be this kind of person. It's really giving us the power to choose, there is this underlying understanding that if you want to assume the role of victim, then you will use your trauma as a reason to continue to play into that role in your life and have it suit your needs. In this book, we're going to continue to dive into trauma, but I want to make it clear that the author discusses that Adler does not aim to dismiss trauma in terms of like making people feel like their past doesn't matter, but it's more like understanding that your trauma does not have to have power over you. You can actually self-determine where it is that you want to go. You can choose to be happy. You can choose to be successful. You can choose to live an amazing life, even if you have experienced something that maybe isn't so great in your past. It's basically allowing your past to not have that much power over you or I kind of phrase that weird it's basically like giving or taking your power back from your trauma that's a better way to phrase it Hi, my friends, editing Deandra popping in here for a second to say that the pronunciation is Adlerian psychology, okay? It's Adler and Adlerian psychology. I do not know why I have always struggled with this for years, but I always say it incorrectly. So if you hear me mispronounce it, I apologize, but that is the correct pronunciation. It's Adlerian and Adler. So as we talk about trauma and revisiting the past and this idea that our past doesn't necessarily need to determine our future, we start to get into understanding why some people may not want to change, right? And why they may not either want to change their mindsets or perhaps their actions or both. So on page 34, the philosopher says, you could say it's like driving your old familiar car. It might rattle a bit, but one can take that into account and maneuver easily. On the other hand, if one chooses a new lifestyle, no one can predict what might happen to the new self or have any idea how to deal with the events as they arise. It will be hard to see ahead to the future and life will be filled with perpetual anxiety. A more painful and unhappy life might lie ahead. Simply put, people have various complaints about things, but it's easier and more secure to just be the way one is. 
This is really interesting because I think we can apply this to so many different things, right? We can apply this to almost like this quote unquote fear of success. Um, I remember my first episode was titled The Fear of Success or Why I'm Afraid of Success, something like that. And I was talking about this exact idea here, right? This idea that sometimes we choose to remain comfortable and remain in the position that we are, even if we don't like it, simply because we are afraid of the unknown. We're like, okay, if I change my life, if I do the thing, if I take a chance, if I, you know, start this business, quit my job and, and change careers, we don't necessarily know what lies along that path. But on this particular path that we are currently on, we can in many ways predict what will happen tomorrow and the next day and the next because it may be quite similar to what happened yesterday and the day before and the day before that. So it's very much this idea of sitting in comfort and allowing ourselves to be stagnant for the sake of not experiencing anxiety of the future and of the unknown. But I think we can also apply this to the main idea that we're talking about in this book, right? And this is about happiness and choosing happiness and how to be happy. And I think that we can also apply this particular idea to mindsets as well, right? It's not always about this bigger picture of not wanting to change because we don't want to experience a new job because we don't know what will happen. We don't know who our boss will be or who our new coworkers can be. It can also be as simple as not wanting to choose happiness because we don't know what that will look like, right? That might be such a complete change, like a mindset shift for you might be the thing that takes you out of your comfort zone. If you're used to being pessimistic or you're used to seeing life a certain way, you are used to possibly taking the victim role, you know, stepping into that role of playing the victim, being the person that everyone always coddles and everyone's always, you know, pitying and everyone always feels bad for. What does it look like when you are no longer that person? What does it look like when you step into a more proactive and action-oriented role, someone that really assumes responsibility for their life and assumes responsibility for what is happening to them? It becomes something where it is scary because you no longer have, you know, people coddling you or, or perhaps you no longer have, you know, that small mindset to rely on. Now the world opens up and now there's so much that you are not used to that you can be afraid of. So you know, I found that really interesting because it just made me think of the two different and, you know, it's not really two different ways, but it just made me think of those two different things. Um, I guess actions and fearing taking certain actions for fear of the result and then mindset, fear of changing mindsets for fearing what happens when you do shift. Then on page 37, the philosopher goes on to describe what happens when you start to consider trying something new. He says, it's actually that he wants to leave the possibility of, I can do it if I try, open, by not committing to anything. He doesn't want to expose his work to criticism, and he certainly doesn't want to face the reality that he might produce an inferior piece of writing and face rejection. He wants to live inside the realm of possibilities where he can say that he could only do it if he had the time or he could write if he just had the proper environment, that he really does have the talent for it. In this particular uh, chapter, there's this example of a writer. This is example of someone who wants to be a writer rather. And instead of them taking the chance and writing the book and doing the thing, they continue to put it off and they continue to talk about, well, you know, if I only had the time and if I only had this and if I only had that, but you know, if I, if I really did it, I would be a phenomenal writer. So it's almost just like, you know, those people who talk about this thing that they've always wanted to do, but it's this way of talking about it like, 
almost like they have the talent and they have the ability to do it, but they're the ones that, you know, are being hindered from doing that thing. We are not necessarily hindered from taking the action, but there is this fear of opening ourselves up to critics, opening ourselves up to people seeing that work, opening ourselves up to whatever lies beyond, which is again, the unknown that makes us not take the action. So we can always sit and we can speculate on what our success may look like if we don't actually try because it's always going to be a possibility it's always going to be like well I could have been successful or I could have been this I could have been that if we never actually do it versus if we do it and we fail then that's one thing but if we never do it if we never try there's always this sort of open possibility it's this realm of it could happen it could still happen and I think that's a really safe place for people to be versus being in a place of taking action if you're in a place of taking action then you're in a really scary and vulnerable place because things might actually not work out in the way that you want them to. About a year ago, I wanted to elevate my health and wellness journey. I was so tired of taking all these different supplements every single day. So instead of adding more, I decided I wanted to simplify and try AG1. It's one of the best decisions I made in 2023. I now feel more energized and mentally clear daily. My skin has even more of a healthy and brighter glow and my digestion has improved. Like I said, I first gave AG1 a try because I wanted to simplify my supplements. I wanted a single solution to support my entire body, my gut, and my brain health. Since drinking AG1 daily, I've noticed that I feel a boost in energy, not just in the morning when I take it, but throughout my entire day. I used to rely on caffeinated pre-workouts, if you know, you know, but when I cut those out, I struggled with grogginess. Adding an AG1 in the morning covers my bases with 75 high quality vitamins, minerals, and ingredients like pre and probiotics, adaptogens, antioxidants, and whole food source nutrients. My favorite part of AG1? It's just one scoop. One scoop mixed in water once a day, every day. I love to add in a squeeze of half a lemon, a few drops of AG1's vitamin D3K2, and three ice cubes, approximately three ice cubes every single morning into my glass as well. This is a partnership made in heaven because AG1 is the supplement that I trust and have trusted since 2023 to provide the support that my body needs daily. If you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash manifest daily. That's drinkag1.com slash manifest daily. Check it out. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. I really enjoyed the third section of the book. And this is the one that I was talking about with my therapist today. So the third section of the book is called Discard Other People's Tasks. Essentially, the book talks about how 
we need to learn how to separate tasks. And tasks are kind of like our responsibilities. I have my tasks and I have the things that I'm responsible for and you have your tasks and the things that you are responsible for. So in any given interpersonal relationship, I am not responsible for your actions. I am not responsible for your reactions. I am not responsible for your tasks. And same thing, you are not responsible for mine. So when we talk about you know, what is it that we can control and what is it that is out of our control? What is out of our control is other people's tasks. We are not able to control how other people act towards us. We are not able to control how other people react, what they do, what their emotions are, all of these different things. We can only control what is on our plate and what is in our sort of like realm of tasks. Part of freedom and happiness and also understanding the separation of tasks is also understanding that we may be wanting to be recognized for perhaps the wrong reasons. In this discussion of what it means to discard other people's tasks, the philosopher talks about how our need for recognition by others may actually be hurting us. So on page 120, there's a quote. He says, when trying to be recognized by others, almost all people treat satisfying other people's expectations as the means to that end. And that is in accordance with the stream of thought of reward and punishment education that says one will be praised if one takes appropriate action. If, for example, the main point of your job turns out to be satisfying other people's expectations, then your job is going to be very hard on you because you'll always be worried about other people looking at you and the fear of judgment and you're repressing your I-ness. It might come as a surprise to you, but almost none of my clients who come for counseling are selfish people. Rather, they are suffering trying to meet the expectations of other people, the expectations of their parents and their teachers. So in a good way, they can't behave in a self-centered fashion. So this is essentially talking about how our need for recognition is also tied to us taking on other people's tasks. On page 123, he goes on to say, in general, all interpersonal relationship troubles are caused by intruding on other people's tasks or having one's own tasks intruded on. Carrying out the separation of tasks is enough to change one's interpersonal relationships dramatically. And if you're not sure how to figure out whose task it is, on page 124, he says, there's a simple way to tell whose task it is. Think who ultimately is going to receive the result brought about by the choice that is made. This links back to this idea of changing your life and choosing to be happy or achieving real happiness. Understanding the separation of tasks is such a simple yet major idea. I think whenever we have different things happen in our interpersonal relationships, a lot of times our frustrations, our anger, our sadness, our emotional reactivity comes from the fact that we are expecting the other person to perform or to respond in a way that we want them to. And when they don't do that, we are just kind of annoyed. We're like, why aren't they doing the thing that we want them to? But in many ways, us trying to control their response, control the way that they are reacting to the situation between us and them is us attempting to take on their tasks. We can't take on other people's tasks. And I think when you start to do the separation of tasks and you start to say, okay, 
This is in my control. This is what I can do. I can do this specific action. I can control the way that I speak to people. I can control, you know, how I react to things and everything else is out of my control. It allows for so much freedom in terms of anxiety and so much freedom in terms of your life because you start to really surrender. We've talked about surrender in other episodes before and I feel like, you know, we've maybe described it in a different way, but this is a really beautiful way to understand understand surrender. It's not about just, you know, pretending that you don't want things or pretending that you don't want to live a certain life or just kind of not caring. Surrender isn't about not caring, but it's about understanding what is not within your control. And so much of what we experience here on earth as human beings is not within our control, right? You know, there are different schools of manifestation thought and co-creation thought and, you know, uh, Neville Goddard and all of these different things where there is the assumption that you are in control, that you are the main person. But this book actually goes in quite the opposite direction and doesn't assume that. However, it's not about, you know, releasing your power. In fact, it's about reclaiming claiming your power by understanding what is not within your control. This is not about thinking that, okay, well, life is happening to me and everything sucks. And because things are outside of my control, I can't experience what I want. This is about understanding that because certain things are outside of control, you get to choose what it is that you do to work with the things that are not in your control. You know what I mean? It's like going back to the cards example, playing the cards that you were dealt. If you were dealt a shitty hand, okay, that is life. That happens. And guess what? Not everyone has the things that they want in the way that they want it in their life situations, but we all have to do the best that we can do with what we're dealt with. So do you choose to, you know, try your hardest in that situation? Do you choose to really accept the tasks that are yours and take responsibility for your life and your actions? Or do you choose to play the victim? Do you choose to turn the other cheek? Do you choose to try to take on other people's tasks? People pleasing. In this book, people pleasing is described as taking on other people's tasks, looking for that need for recognition or looking for recognition rather than other people because we're trying to please people in order to be seen. And that is actually such a self-serving act because we are doing it for ourselves. We are not doing it because we want to please the other people because, you know, we really want to serve them. We're doing it because pleasing them and being praised by them makes us feel good. On page 130, the philosopher says, you're worried about other people looking at you. You're worried about being judged by other people. That is why you are constantly craving recognition from others. Now, why are you worried about other people looking at you anyway? Adlerian psychology has an easy answer. You haven't done the separation of tasks yet. You assume that even things that should be other people's tasks are your own. Then in the chapter titled, Desire for Recognition Makes You Unfree, the philosopher says, maybe it is easier to live in such a way as to satisfy other people's expectation because one is entrusting one's own life path to them. For example, one runs along the tracks that one's parents have laid out. Even if there are a lot of things that one might object to, one will not lose one's way along as long as one stays on those rails. But if one is deciding one's path oneself, it's only natural that one will get lost at times. One comes up against the wall of how should one live? If we just follow the path that is already laid out for us, whether it's by our parents, by our other family members, by our friends, peers, collective society, it is easier, right? 
even though we might not like the path or there are certain things on the path that we just don't really feel aligned with, when there is a simple and set path for us that we can sort of go one, two, three, four, five, it is so much easier than taking the road where we may do things that don't really align with what other people want for us, but it's gonna lead to more confusion for ourselves. Because when you are following a path that is not tried and true, that is not laid out by another for you, you are going to inevitably come across a lot of challenges or a lot of confusion on your path. This is the part where people, you know, wonder what it is that they should be doing with their life. They wonder, excuse me, sorry about that. Um, they wonder what it is they should be doing with their life. They wonder, you know, if they should take this job or take this job or do this thing. And I think that we look at confusion, especially on our path as something bad, when I think the confusion could be a really good indicator that you are doing what's best for you and you are following a journey that is very unique to you. It may not be one that is laid out by another or one that has already been predefined, but if it truly feels aligned to you, even if you don't always know the next step in the moment, if whenever you do take that next step, it feels aligned, I think that could be a really good indicator that you are following your heart and not necessarily following what other people want you to do simply because you want to please them. We then get into a chapter talking about freedom and freedom is ultimately linked to happiness. A lot of times you hear people talking about things like the nine to five or the matrix. There is this understanding that they feel trapped or that whatever it is that is made making them feel sad or making them feel bad about their lives is also the thing that makes them feel trapped. And so in order to step into happiness and feel like we have some control over our lives, we have to understand what freedom is and then we have to pursue freedom in our lives. On page 144, the philosopher describes that being disliked by someone is proof that you are exercising your freedom and living in freedom, and a sign that you are living in accordance with your principles. He goes on to say, by conducting oneself in such a way as to not be disliked by anyone is an extremely unfree way of living and is also impossible. And the cost of freedom in interpersonal relationships is that one is disliked by other people. This, again, goes back to the separation of tasks. It goes back to everything else that we talked about in this book, but I'm specifically thinking about the separation of tasks right here. When you start to separate your tasks and you start to say, I can only control my actions. I cannot control other people's actions. When you start to recognize your need for recognition, your people pleasing, all of those different tendencies as being linked to you taking on other people's tasks and you start to separate those things and you start to not people please anymore, people are going to dislike you. You are no longer going to be showing up in a way as to try to make sure that you are digestible for everyone. You are no longer going to be trying to say the things and do the things that feel like they are in line with everyone's path for you. You're going to be doing things that are in line for your path for you. You're going to be doing the things that are your tasks. And the more that you do that, the more that you really lean into understanding that you need to separate your tasks from others, the more that you kind of take responsibility for just yourself, the more that people are going to dislike you because I think there's this understanding that as you know, a community and collective beings that in order to look out for one another and be part of the community, we have to sacrifice ourselves. We have to lean so far in that our individual self is no longer important. We have to really make sure that we're taking care of everyone else's stuff and doing everyone else's tasks in order to be 
part of the community. And once you start to separate the stuff and you start to see that there's a clear delineation between what it is that is in your control and what it is that is outside of your control, you are going to find that some people just simply won't like you because they won't like that you are having those particular set of boundaries. As we get into talking about community, we start to learn about the difference between horizontal relationships and vertical relationships. So with vertical relationships, there is hierarchy. There is someone who is either looking up at someone and putting someone on a pedestal or someone who is looking down at someone and saying that someone is beneath them. Whereas with horizontal relationships, there is an eye to eye type of relationship. You are looking at the person as they are a comrade, as they are a peer of yours. You're neither putting them on a pedestal nor are you saying that they are beneath you. When you create vertical relationships, you are creating a hierarchy where one person is allowed to feel inferior and another person is allowed to feel superior. In this case, this can also reinforce this idea of people pleasing. In a relationship where someone is inferior, they may want to people please to their superior or manipulate the situation so that they get what they want from their superior or vice versa. If someone is in a superior position, they now have this power to manipulate the situation to get whatever they want from the inferior person in the relationship. So instead of praising someone and possibly putting them on a pedestal, we can instead just express gratitude for them showing up in the way that we needed them to show up and taking on their tasks in a very responsible way. This is also described through the understanding of a parental and child relationship because I think with this particular one, there's a very clear hierarchy with parents and children. When kids are really young, there's this understanding that we have someone who's older who knows more and so they are in a very superior position. However, this book talks about really setting the tone for horizontal relationships even when kids are young. So not necessarily allowing ourselves to see us as better than the kids just because they're younger than us, but really putting us on a similar playing space and allowing them to express what it is that they need, allowing them to take responsibility for their tasks and empowering them to do so without putting ourselves in a place where we're like, we know better than you just because we're older. This can also show up too, I think, in parental relationships, even when you're older and when you're an adult, because your parents will kind of be like, oh, uh, I know more than you, or, you know, almost like wanting to take on that superior position. But again, this can encourage those people-pleasing tendencies, because if you have a parent who is in a superior position, or you assume that they are in a superior position to yourself, then you might be more liable to do things like, take on the path that they think you should do. You might want to take the job that they think you should take or pursue the life that they think you should pursue and not do the thing that you want to do simply because there's that vertical and hierarchical relationship versus if you are in a horizontal relationship with that parent and you see them as a comrade and as a pair, obviously having the respect and understanding that they're a parent, you can then feel more apt and free to make decisions that are best for you, even though it might be contradictory to what they want for you. About a year ago, I wanted to elevate my health and wellness journey. I was so tired of taking all these different supplements every single day. So instead of adding more, I decided I wanted to simplify and try AG1. It's one of the best decisions I made in 2023. I now feel more energized and mentally clear daily. My skin has even more of a healthy and brighter glow and my digestion has improved. 
Like I said, I first gave AG1 a try because I wanted to simplify my supplements. I wanted a single solution to support my entire body, my gut, and my brain health. Since drinking AG1 daily, I've noticed that I feel a boost in energy, not just in the morning when I take it, but throughout my entire day. I used to rely on caffeinated pre-workouts, if you know, you know, but when I cut those out, I struggled with grogginess. Adding an AG1 in the morning covers my bases with 75 high quality vitamins, minerals, and ingredients like pre and probiotics, adaptogens, antioxidants, and whole food source nutrients. My favorite part of AG1? It's just one scoop. One scoop mixed in water once a day, every day. I love to add in a squeeze of half a lemon, a few drops of AG1's vitamin D3K2, and three ice cubes, approximately three ice cubes every single morning into my glass as well. This is a partnership made in heaven because AG1 is the supplement that I trust and have trusted since 2023 to provide the support that my body needs daily. If you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash manifest daily. That's drinkag1.com slash manifest daily. Check it out. In the community chapter, we talk about how being concerned for others or really wanting to make sure that we are also serving others is a big thing. And this doesn't mean taking on other people's tasks, by the way. There is definitely a differentiation between serving the community, serving the collective, and taking on other people's tasks. In order to serve the collective, we need to release our desire for recognition. We need to release our desire for people-pleasing because that really doesn't serve the collective. It actually only really serves us individually. So there are three things that are talked about in chapter five or rather section five that are needed to help you move from self-attachment to concern for others. And they are self-acceptance, confidence in others and contribution to others. So self-acceptance is about accepting yourself as you are right now. This is about understanding that even if you could not show up fully in the way that you want to show up, you are doing your best. This is about allowing yourself to know that it is okay if you don't show up fully every single day, if you only show up as much as you're able to. So we've talked about self-acceptance before when we talk about things like having off days. Like there are days where maybe you just get one out of like five things or 10 things on your to-do list done. But if that one thing was literally all you could muster that day, then accept that. Know that you did your best. Know that it's okay. There literally is another day. It's about not punishing yourself. It's about not judging yourself for what you are able to do in any given day, but really knowing that you are putting your best foot forward and really truly doing so. The next part is confidence in others. And there is a quote on page 213 that I want to read to you guys. When you have confidence in others, it is doing so without any set conditions whatsoever when believing in others. Even if one does not have sufficient objective grounds for trusting someone one believes. One believes unconditionally without concerning oneself with such thing as security. But this is about understanding that if we really do want to be a part of this community and this collective, we have to have confidence in others. We have to be able to understand that people will do their tasks if they are really empowered to do so. In the last section, we get an example of someone who is in a relationship. They are in love with 
with their partner, but they're having doubts and they're wondering, hmm, I bet they're cheating on me. Now, this is a situation where this person has no actual proof that their partner is cheating on them, but because they are afraid to have the confidence in their partner, they start to assume that their partner is probably cheating on them. They doubt their partner because because doubt is the opposite of confidence. And so as they have this doubt in their partner, they start to find exactly what they're looking for in their partner's remarks, in their partner's attitudes. It's kind of like when you go looking for something, you will find it. So even though this person's partner is probably not cheating on them and probably not doing anything wrong, because they have doubt in their partner, they don't have confidence. And because they are looking for any old proof that they can to prove that they're right about this particular doubt that they have, they find the proof. And this, in essence, also ruins their ability to have confidence in other people in the future and build deeper relationships and connections. Having confidence is knowing that people have their tasks, you have your tasks, the tasks are separated, but being able to say, okay, I am going to allow such and such person to complete their tasks and do their thing. And I'm not going to try to infringe on what it is they're doing. I'm not going to try to either doubt them or force myself to control the way that they complete their tasks. I'm simply going to empower them to do so. This is literally about having faith in people, faith in humanity, faith in the collective. And I know that there are a lot of people that can be very cynical about humans and human nature and thinking, oh, well, you know, everyone's just like that. I know in dating, sometimes I'll hear people talk about like, oh, all guys are like this and all men suck. And it's like, no, we got to have faith in the men. Okay. Not every man sucks. And even this particular individual that you dealt with who maybe didn't treat you the right way or didn't do the things that you want them to do. They're not a bad individual. It's just that they are doing things that they think is right for their particular situation. It doesn't mean that it's right for you. And it doesn't mean that you have to accept that. And it doesn't mean that you have to participate in that relationship any longer. But that also doesn't mean that you have to let that make you lose confidence in any other person and any other particular or possible relationship for you in the future. The idea is that once you have accepted what you can do and what is within your control, what is your task and what is in someone else's control and what they need to do, you start to release and you start to have confidence in others because you recognize what is on them and what is not on you. In one of the final chapters of the book, we understand contribution to others as being a key part of happiness. The philosopher says, happiness is the feeling of contribution. That is the definition of happiness. This is about service to others, service to the collective. He talks about work and how, you know, yes, we can understand and see work as a means to an end. But he also gives this example of people that have all the money in the world and are super rich and have everything together, but yet they continue to go to work or they continue to, you know, donate to charities or or participate in community events, not because, you know, money is the means to the end, but because by contributing to society and by doing something that's bigger than themselves, by serving the collective, they are finding purpose and they are finding their joy. The last chapter is titled, Give Meaning to Seemingly Meaningless Life. That's definitely a tongue twister. And the philosopher said, Adler, having stated that life in general has no meaning, continues to say, whatever meaning life has must be assigned to it by the individual. This is a really great way to end off this book because it loops it back to what we talked about at the very beginning of this book, which is that 
We are all living very unique lives because of our perspective. And because of your perspective, you are able to give whatever meaning to life that you want. We are literally on this rock that is floating in space, okay? We have made up things like taxes and bills and electricity and all of these things. And yes, that helps us to make sense of what it is that we're doing here. But you also have to understand that you get to assign meaning to your life. You get to say what it is that makes you happy. You get to say what your tasks are and what tasks are not yours. You get to say what it is that you want to do. And that is true freedom, being able to choose the life that you want to live, being able to choose the path that you want to pursue. I mean, this particular time that we have on this floating rock is kind of short, right? In the span of things and the the span of how long humans have existed and this earth has existed. Like there's not a lot of time that we have here. So while you're here, why don't don't you just give whatever meaning that you want to give to life? There's an example at the end of the book as well. It talks about how a lot of times we take for granted the things that exist in our life. And there's an example of if your parent were to get into a car accident and be in the hospital and fighting for their life, you would then really start to recognize how powerful their presence was, even when they were just in your life and not really doing anything except existing and just being there. And so you were taking for granted that time that you had with them. This is about understanding that the moments that we have in any given day, we should not be taking advantage of them. We should understand that every single moment matters and that we are able to be happy in every single moment and give purpose and feel gratitude for all of the moments because we don't know when that moment is going to be gone. We don't know what is on the other side of everything. So yeah, it talks about being in the here and now, being grateful for things in the here and now, giving your life purpose and giving your life meaning and allowing yourself to say, you have the freedom to assign whatever meaning it is to your life. When we talk about purpose, you know, when people are like, I want to find my purpose, you get to assign your purpose. Your purpose isn't necessarily something that you have to go searching to find. You don't have to say, oh my God, it's this big thing. And oh my God, I I haven't found my purpose. I'm like, you know, in my thirties or my forties or whatever, your purpose can just be to exist. Your purpose can just be to be a good person. Your purpose can just be whatever service looks like to you. It can just be to literally be here and contribute to your community, whatever your community looks like. And I don't think we have to make it this big thing because I think sometimes when we make it this big thing and we're like, oh, purpose has to be this, this, and this, and you know, it has to be like so much bigger than ourselves. I think that's what leads us into unhappiness because then we are searching for something that we may possibly never find, right? And I think when you allow yourself to recognize that you can choose to be happy in this moment, you can choose to understand that your purpose is quite simple, it becomes easier to lean into happiness and to choose happiness. So this book was really amazing. Like I said, I will definitely be rereading it. And I really hope you guys enjoyed this TLDR episode and found just as much, I guess, pleasure and comfort and nuggets of wisdom from everything that we talked about and shared today as I did. Thank you so much for listening to this episode and thank you for granting me grace as I know it went up a little bit late today, but I hope you enjoy this as you tune in and I will chat with you in the very next episode. Bye my loves.
What if I told you that in 2024, you were going to travel more? I bet you would be excited because who doesn't have travel more on their 2024 vision board? But my loves, it's time to craft a bit of an action plan and take your first steps. And this is where I come in. I'm hosting a trip to Bali, May 23rd to May 29th, 2024 for the Manifest Daily community. I'm so excited about this one. We have a jam-packed itinerary. We have a Balinese cooking class, a sacred monkey forest visit, a coffee brewing workshop, literally the works because that's just a taste of the itinerary. And this trip is a celebration of new beginnings and also a couple of birthdays. So if you're curious about Bali and you want to meet me there alongside a couple other wonderful, amazing, beautiful souls, head to my website for more information, themanifestly.com slash events. Visit the link in the show notes. And yeah, let's let's hang out in Bali. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.